Uh, I want to I begin, I want to ask this question. I want you to take a moment and think. Think about your life. Think about your life right now where you are. Is there joy in your life? Is there peace? Do you have happiness? I want you to think about that for just a moment. Think about your life. This is a new year. Yes, we all have our New Year's resolutions. Mine was I did not make any this year because I fell all the other years. So I put myself up for failure again. So, but anyways, think about your life for a moment. And just think, are you living a new and abundant life? Well, the first scripture I want to take us to this morning is actually John 10.10. In a world today, and I'm going to be talking about um, the world. I want to talk about how the world affects us. But Jesus talks about in John 10.10, you know, despite what, what the world wants to teach you, despite what the humanistic views of our day want to tell you, that there is no heaven, there is no hell. I'm here to tell you this morning, that is a lie. You do have an enemy after your soul. You do have an enemy that wants to destroy you. The devil is real. He is not some make-believe character that your parents or grandparents or great-grandparents made up to get you to do what they wanted you to do. There is an enemy after your soul. He hates you. He wants to destroy you. And he will do anything he can to do that. That's why Jesus warns us and gives us warnings. And one of the ones is found right here in John 10.10. It says, the thief cometh not, but for to steal. Now, there was a situation um, two years ago. Many of you know that my wife was attacked. And she was sexually assaulted. She was raped. And when this happened, the Lord gave me this scripture the week before it happened. And I posted it on uh, the city. The city is the church's Facebook. And he gave me an interjection here that the thief cometh not but for to steal. What is he stealing? He is stealing your identity. That's one. He wants to steal who the word of God says that you are. He wants to steal fathers. He wants to steal from you your, your role, your, your role model, your leadership position that you have to be leaders. He wants to come in and he wants to steal that from you, your identity. The first thing that the devil came to Jesus when he tempted him is, if thou be the son of God. He wants to place that doubt in your mind. He wants to place to where you begin to start doubting your own identity. But he doesn't only stop there. Jesus goes on and says he comes to kill What does he come to kill? He comes to kill your joy. Why is that so important? Because the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he wants to come in, steal your identity. Then he wants to kill your joy, which is your strength. And the last is, he says, and to destroy. What does he want to destroy? Your soul. That's the enemy. That's the one that the world system today is serving That's the one that those that are not choosing Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Here it is. And Jesus said, but I come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. That's why I ask you to think about your life. Is your life abundant? Are you experiencing the peace of God in your life? Are you experiencing the joy of God? Are you experiencing the love of God in your life? Jesus said that we can have this right now. I'm not talking about financial blessings. That's another lie. 
from that the world wants to put out. Does God bless? Yes. But we don't serve Jesus Christ just to have new homes and new cars and have our bank accounts packed. Can he do that? Yes, he can. But that's not the importance of why he came to the cross of Calvary. So, he says that you might have life more abundantly. So, the enemy comes in. He, he comes to still kill and destroy. And one of the ways that he does this is through the world system. And, and what does that mean? What is the world system? Well, 1 John tells us, 1 John 2 in, chapter, in uh, verses 15 through 17, it goes and says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Right here, John's telling us, don't love the world or the things in the world. We see all the time. We see it on commercials. We see it in, in the media that they're, all, they're promoting all this stuff for us. You know, if it makes you feel good, do it. Just do it. You only live once. Have it your way. You hear all these phrases. Let me tell you something. Those phrases are there for a reason and for a purpose. It's to get you to, to think better, you know, to feel good about yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to remember why, why we're here. I tell myself all the time, Lord, I'm just the dirt that you formed me from. I'm nothing without you, but I'm everything through you. We have to remember that. It's not all about ourselves. It's not all about us getting rich schemes. It's not all about that. And I'm going to show tonight what, I mean, this morning, I came off midnight. That's why I say tonight. <laughs> it's my night. But uh, this morning, I want to show that the things of the worldly system and the world wants to tell us, but I want to show what the word of God tells us about the world. So do not love the world or the things in the world. If Anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because everything that is in the world, here it is, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the arrogance of material possessions, or the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. Do you get that? I want you to see that. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the arrogance of material possessions, or the pride of life is another phrase for that. It is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away and its desires, but the one who does the will of God remains forever. I want to speak this morning on this. A new and living way. A new and living way. So we're seeing here, not to, uh, John's telling us not to love the world, not to love the things of the world. So let me just break this down a little bit. And let me just look for a moment of what, what is the lust of the flesh? What is some things that is in the lust of the flesh that the Bible's telling us that is in the world, okay? So the Bible's telling us, and John's telling us that these things are in the world. So this is what the world promotes to you, okay? Lust of the flesh. One is adultery. Adultery. We see today that marriages are on an all-time down low. It's even been proven now that even Christian marriages, because before worldly marriages, ones that wasn't, that wasn't in the church, that their divorce rate was an all-time high, let me tell you, it's even coming into the church. Again, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, okay? So, adultery, fornication. Fornication is, of course, I want, I want children, I know there's children here, anything that is outside of marriage, okay? You get that? Sexually, outside of marriage. It's fornication. We see that a lot today. We see that a lot within uh, the world. We see that in a lot of people that they want to live that way. I don't want to commit. I don't want to marry. Let me tell you something. God designed marriage. 
and God designed marriage for a reason and for a purpose, okay? So uh, uh, the next is drunkenness. These are lust of the flesh, drunkenness. And see, these are one of the things that the enemy, when he wants to come in and, and to destroy you, because he, then he begins to play with your mind. And if he begins to say, you know what? You're not going to be a good father. You're not going to be a good leader. You're not a good husband. So you know what? She's not, she's not giving you what you want. She's, she's always complaining to you. These are lies from the enemy. And so why don't you just go out and why don't you just cope with that pain? So why don't you just go out and take some drinks and you know what? You can numb all that. All that will go away. You don't have to think about that no more. And you know what? If that's not enough, there's drugs out there too. There's prescription drugs. Hey, they're legal because your doctor gave them to you. So this is what the enemy tries to do to get us to, to forget and to be numb to all this. These are less of the flesh. And, and the ultimate desire of the enemy is to destroy your soul and destroy your life. All right? Now, let's get on to the lust of the eyes, the Bible says. Lust of the eyes. Anything that you're lusting after. It could be the opposite sex that you're lusting after. Oh, if I can just have that. If I can just... Um, it also goes into um, when you're all things desired. So if you're looking at something and you're desiring, I have to have that. I just got to have it. It could be your neighbor's possession. It could be their car. It could be, it could be whatever. And you're just lusting. I have to have that. That is lust of the eyes. And the Bible is telling us this is what's in the world. This is what the world's thrown at. Look at the commercials. Look at the things that comes, that comes at us. And this is what they are promoting to us. The last is the pride of life. The pride of life is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is that I can do this myself. And let me tell you something. It's in the church. Self-righteousness is when you're looking at your brother and sister and you're thinking you're a lot better than they are. I've been in a church of, you know, you might say I've been saved for many years. These, these young ones coming in, they don't know anything. That's not true. Pride of life. Pride of life is also, it's riches. It's, it's power. It's where you are, are wanting to, to gain something that is dishonest. And then you say you did it yourself. I hear a lot of successful people that says, I got here myself. I've even had somebody tell me, God didn't give me nothing. I did it. Where was God at? I did this. I earned this myself. I worked my way up the ladder, and I did this on my own. That's pride of life. We need to remember where all wisdom, gifting, and talents come from. It comes from God. The reason you got to where you are is because God gave you the gifts and talents and abilities to get to where you are. That's why. Now, how you get there and how you choose that's up to you. If you want to choose to be dishonest and to claw your way to the top, then you're being controlled by the world system and you're being controlled by the enemy. But listen, there's a right way to do things. There's a godly way. There's a pure way to do things. So, uh, John five twenty five. So, Jesus is, is warning in the opening uh, scripture, John ten ten. He talks about the enemy and he talks about that what he comes to do. But Jesus said that, um, that he came to have, give life and to give it more abundantly. So in John 5, 25 and John 5, 26, Jesus says, And I assure you that this time is coming, and it, indeed it is here now, when the dead will hear my voice, the voice of the Son of God, and all those who listen will live. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted that same life-giving power to his son. 
Let me just say this. Before we come to Christ, we are dead men and dead women walking. We are dead. What are we dead to? We're dead in our sins. That's what the Bible tells us. So before we come to God, we're dead. But Jesus is telling us that, listen, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life-giving power that is able to raise up and to rise your life into newness of life, to give you a new and living, living way, to call you out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light. We are in darkness, the Bible says, before we come to Jesus Christ. But the world wants to keep you there. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19 and 22. Um, I would encourage you, if you've never read the book of Hebrews, Hebrews is awesome. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And it talks a lot of the priesthood of Jesus Christ. And let me just lead up to, to this verse. In the Old Testament, there is what is called the tabernacle. And the Old Testament is that the high priest, they built a tabernacle and they had a curtain that went into the most holy place. And in the most holy place set the Ark of the Covenant. And the priest went in there, the high priest went in there once a year to atone for the sins of the people. Now, what that means is they would go in and roll their sins ahead one year. What does that mean, roll their sins ahead? They would do a ritual that the Lord God um, ordained. And the high priest would go in. And if God accepted their atonement and they followed the ritual, then God would honor and their sins would be rolled ahead. Now, why, why would you say rolled ahead? Well, because they were being rolled ahead to when Jesus Christ would come on the cross of Calvary. And so in the Old Testament, there was what they used, the blood of bulls and goats. So they had animal sacrifices. And the animal sacrifices would temporarily atone for the sins of the children of Israel and roll their sins ahead for the next following year. So the next year, you had all the sins from the past, you had all the sins now, and then you're bringing that before God. And if he forgave and had mercy, and what you read throughout the, the Bible, he did. He did. There was never, that I can recall, ever a high priest that was killed that went in for the Day of Atonement. Okay, so God had mercy, and God showed grace to them. But the reason that's important is because that's leading up to this verse in Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 19 and 20. This is what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place. Remember, the holy place is the place uh, where the priest went into once a year. By the blood of Jesus. Now we have access. When Jesus Christ, well, let me just finish this. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, by the new and living way that he opened for us, through the curtain that is his, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and bodies washed with pure water. Why is that important? Because here it says that now on the day when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross of Calvary, the Bible says that, that the curtain that was in the tabernacle, because they built, a tab, or they built a temple to God. And in that temple, there was the curtain. On the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, that curtain was rent or, or split from top to bottom. 
What does that mean? That now we have access to the Father. We don't have to go through the high priest anymore. There's only one high priest that we have. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid for all of that on the cross of Calvary. So here, let me put it this way. Let me explain it further. In the Old Testament, they had their sins rolled ahead. What was it rolling to? It was rolling to the day that Jesus Christ came on the cross of Calvary. Now today, how does that apply to us? When we sin, the Bible says that we have an advocate now to the Father. So when you sin, you can ask God to forgive you, and he will. The Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Your sins now roll back to the cross. Do you see that? It all goes back to the cross. It goes back to what Jesus Christ done on the cross of Calvary for us. And it says, through his flesh, through the curtain, the curtain was his flesh that was beaten, that was ripped apart for us, was the flesh. And now we can come to the Father and experience this new and living way. It's only through Jesus Christ and what he done for us on the cross of Calvary. So let me just... Um, the Bible, in, in these portions of Scripture, there's some commands that he gave. One was that we can draw near to God. That was in Hebrews 20, uh, 10, 22. To have pure conscience. What does that mean? Now we can have a pure conscience to come into God. We don't have to, to let our minds be um, bombarded. Or we don't have to have the shame and guilt of, of things. But we have Jesus Christ now that takes away um, the shame and guilt. Because he bore all that for us. On the cross of Calvary. See, a lot of Christians today, they come, they come and they say the sinner's prayer and they give their life to Christ. That's great. I don't have anything against that. But they don't have an understanding, some don't have an understanding of what Jesus did for them. What does that mean that he's my Lord and Savior? What did he save me from? Is it just a fire insurance that he saved me from hell? No, it's a lot more than that. He saved you from a life being full of of regret and shame and guilt and all the things that people said over your life and all the lies that people have maybe told you that you'll never amount to anything. You're never going to be good enough. You'll never never be happy. You'll never experience the love of of a husband or a wife. These are things that people tell us over our lives. And then we begin to believe that and we begin to let that come into our minds and we begin to replay that over and over again in our minds. Let me tell you something. I, I've never gave my testimony and I'm not going to give it all this morning, but, but I, I did not have a good childhood in school. I was constantly picked on, um, uh, constantly picked on for my voice of being gay and, and I was constantly called gay and queer and faggot and all these things throughout my life. I was, I was beat up. Um, I was even had uh, a group of, of guys. I, I heard them talking about of how they just wanted to really kill me. This is what they said. They wanted to kill me and to, uh, to spread my body through the tri-state area. And, you know, let me tell you something. One of the biggest lies that I believe is told, parents, please don't tell this to your children, that sticks and stones may break their bones and names and faces will never hurt them. Names and faces hurt me a lot more than being hit. Because I'm telling you something, it plays with your mind. And I begin to question, why does people think this about me? You know, there's nothing I can do about my voice. Trust me, I prayed, God, give me a deeper voice. This is the voice that God gave me. 
But here's the grace that God gave me in it too. He gave me the grace to embrace it because my voice is distinguished. When I come into a room, I've had people say, oh, I didn't even see you, but I knew you was here because I heard your voice. My voice is one of a kind. I get it. All right. Um, but I learned to embrace that, that God, this is what you, this is the voice you gave me. But let me tell you something. God was with me throughout all those times in school. And, um, I still preached. I carried my Bible to school. I wore Christian t-shirts. And let me just tell you the grace of God. Those three men, the three boys that said that to me, I had a chance to witness to them. And I had a chance to tell them about Jesus. God made a way because I was faithful. But let me tell you something. It still plays on your mind. So please be careful of what you say, men to your wives, wives to your husbands, parents to your children. Because I'm telling you, it's very effective. It's very, it impacts the mind. And let me tell you, you can be long gone. I once heard a woman say that she was bound by what her father said about her, that she was worthless, she'd never amount to nothing. And she told a therapist, she told a counselor, she said, my dad has been dead for five years, but today I'm burying him. And I love that. What does she mean by that? Because she said, today I'm not going to let him control me anymore. I'm not going to let his words um, take power from me because that's what happens. And that's what the enemy wants to do. When we begin to pick up where someone else left off, we give them power. We give them power over our minds. And we don't have the joy in our lives that God wants us to have. We don't have the abundant life that God wants us to have. Let me just tell you this. And some people might not like to hear this. This is the year 2014. It might be time to get a pair of your scissors out and cut some people loose. If they're not encouraging you, if they're not bringing out the best in you, if they're constantly draining you, what do I mean by that? There's people that can suck the life right out of you. They're always wanting something from you, but they never give anything back in your life. And let me tell you something, that, that's friendships too. You, if you're in a friendship, you're in a friendship because you, you, you have something in common. And friendships is, you should not be the only one that is imparting something into that friendship. And let me just say this as well. I'm talking about any relationship. I'm talking about marriages. I'm talking even about parenthood. Impart things to people. But also, they should be imparting something to you. I have a phrase that I say. Don't dump your trash in my yard. I'm not the garbage collector. Today's not Friday. So don't be dumping your trash in my yard. If you can't build me up and you can't encourage me and you can't strengthen me, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to cut you loose. Because I have scripture to back it up. The Bible says we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to build up. We're supposed to encourage. We're supposed to strengthen. That's what we're supposed to do. And if there's people in your life that's not doing that, as much as you love them, I'm not saying not to love them, but if they're bringing you down, it's time to let them go. Because you know why? They're holding you back from getting to where God wants you in their life. I know I took a little rabbit trail, but hey, it still ties in. Draw near to God. Have a pure conscience. To have clean body. What does that mean? I'm not talking about washing, taking a bath. I'm talking about a clean body is that your thoughts are holy, that your thoughts are pure, that you have a clean mind. You have a sound mind, the Bible says, the mind of Christ. To provoke others to do good. I want to, to provoke, but that doesn't mean to make angry. It means to provoke them to do good. 
What does that mean? If you see somebody, if you see a brother or sister in the church, and the Bible says to come to them in love. Hey, I see you're going through something, or I don't think possibly, you know, what you're doing or your actions um, might not be, you know, what God, the best that God has for you. So here's, let me pray with you. See, the, the, there's a right way to do it, okay? Don't be going up to somebody, this is what you need to do, okay? No. Uh, but to do it with love and to promote them to do good. And that even means those that are not Christians to pro- provoke them to do good. To be regularly in church attendance, Hebrew 25, forsake not the assembling of yourself together as the manner that, that some, uh, some are. Why is that important? It's not about money. Listen, God doesn't need your money, okay? But I need you, okay? And Dennis needs you. And, and Burdette needs you. And Marcy needs you. We need each other, okay? That's why I, that's why I need you here. Because you have something that is going to encourage me, that's going to lift me up. Even if it's a testimony of what God's done this week in your life, praise God. You know, maybe I might not have saw something in my life this week, but at least I know he's still alive and he's still working through you. And that's encouragement. Because, listen, I know that you've been, you know, so-and-so has been praying for this. And, wow, God answered their need. So I know mine's on the way. Because if God answers them, his word said he's no respecter of persons. So that means that he can, mine's coming too. It gives you courage. It gives you hope. To exhort one another daily. That's what I already talked about. But I just want to share a quick uh, scripture. Philippians 2 and verse 3 says, do, do nothing from selfish ambitions or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours and Christ Jesus. What do, I love that. Do nothing from selfish ambitions. What does that mean? Because let me tell you something. There's a phrase also I say too. You can have the right motive, but the wrong method. And what that means is your intentions can be good, but what's the motive behind what you're doing? Oh, I'm going to give, oh, I'll help the church out. I'll give $1,000, pastor. Now, are you giving $1,000 to help your brother or sister out for a need? Or do you just want to be known that you have all this money? Okay, you know what I'm saying? Do nothing from selfish ambitions to get yourself anywhere. Listen, what Christ did on the cross, he done enough. There's no more working up the ladder. There's no more you can do. He done it all on the cross of Calvary, okay? So we're here to help each other, and, and, that's, and that's why we're here. So it says, uh, let each of you look not only at your own interests, but to, but to think of each other, and that's what we need to do, okay? Let me go on. Four ways, quick, four ways to draw near to God be bold, by boldness. How boldness? Boldness to enter into the throne room of God. Jesus made a way for us. We can come before the Father now. We can come and make our requests made known to God. We can come now before the Father and say, Father, I need help. I can't do this on my own. This burden is too heavy for me. It's hard being the leader, being a single parent. It's hard to lead this family, God. I can't do it without you. My emotions are overwhelmed. The kids are out of control, God. I need peace. I need strength in my life. We can come before God. And some people say, I don't know how to pray. Talk to him like you talk to anybody. Let me tell you, it's fine. If you're driving in your car, God, oh, that person just pulled out in front of me. Oh, well, bless them, Lord. (laughs) 
help me from not flying a bird today, all right, or something, all right? Keep me holy. Keep my thoughts holy, God, all right? We draw near to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we draw near to God by a new and living way. That's what I said already in Jesus Christ, and by and only through Jesus. The Lord gave me um, these seven ways of how we can have abundant life. I think they'll be up here on the screen. Uh, Our new and living way, what does that consist of? What did Jesus Christ purchase for us? What did he do for us? Well, let me tell you something. This is not an exhaustive list. I just gave seven because seven, um, to me, and, uh, and the number of completion, the Lord purchased for us joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Two, a peace that passes all understanding. You know, I, I know a lot of women, a lot of girls, you have that fairy tale dream that you're going to meet your, your prince and, and your knight in shining armor. Well, let me tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ, you met your prince. And you met your prince of peace. It is Jesus Christ. Three, he purchased everlasting life. Uh, John 17, 3, Jesus was praying to the Father, and he says, and this is the way to have eternal life. You want to know how to have salvation? You want to know what is the way of eternal life and how to experience the new and living way and how to have an abundant life? It's right here. And this is the way to have eternal life. Jesus Christ himself praying to know you. Jesus Christ is praying to the Father to know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ the one that you sent. Listen, Christianity is not a religion. It's not like Muslims. It's not like Buddhists. It is not a religion. Christianity is a personal experience and relationship with Jesus Christ and with the Father. That's Christianity. So when people ask me, well, what religion are you? I'm not a religion. My faith I have is in Jesus Christ. That's my faith, not a religion. Because religion is man-made rules and philosophies and and man-made rituals. My Jesus Christ came to do away, to complete all that. And now I can have a new and living, abundant life only through him. Next, fellowship. We have fellowship with the Father. We have fellowship with Jesus. And we have fellowship with one another. Five is we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance. The Bible says we are joint heirs. With Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Everything that Jesus Christ experienced and everything the Father gave him, we now are joint heirs with him. So let me tell you something. This world does not compare to anything that what's waiting us in eternity. It does not even compare. So I don't want anything this world has for me because what it, why settle for, for dirt when you can have gold? You can have the treasure. And that's what I'm waiting for. Six is the abundant life. We have the abundant life through Jesus Christ. And seven is freedom from the law of sin and death. We have freedom from the law of sin and death. We don't have to be bound anymore by sin and death. But we have a new abundant life through Jesus Christ and what he done for us 
on the cross of Calvary. You can have joy. You can have peace in your life. You can experience love. You can have strength and fellowship. You can have your broken heart mended. You can have things that were stolen and robbed from you, from the thief, from the enemy, that God can restore back to you. This is the God that you serve. You serve a living God, and you serve a loving God that cares about every situation, every grief that you have, every pain that you experience. That's the God that you serve, that he cares about you. Lost loved ones that we have experienced in our lives, God can give you comfort and strength and peace in your life over that. God cares for you. Don't let this world define the God that you serve, but let his word define who he is. I always say, if you want to know the author, read the book, because that's how you're going to get to know the God that you serve. In a world today that wants to promote lies to you and wants to steal from you and and to make you uh, have a life of despair, get into the book. Because this is life-changing, and this is transforming. And let me tell you, I know at times it's hard. I know at times that we get caught up with the cares of this world and life. But I'm telling you something. The Holy Spirit draws you back to him and draws you back to his word. Why? Because he cares for you. It's a personal relationship. It's just like when your spouse or your child goes away, there's an ache in your heart that just has to get you. If I can just hear their voice one more time. That's how important you are to God. He says, if I can just hear your voice one more time, if you just call out to me, if you just come to me one more time, Don't be deceived. God cares more for you than you will ever know. But I pray that you do experience. And I pray that he makes himself known to you beyond anything that you can even ask or think. Anything, any love. Let me tell you something. When we get to heaven, we're going to experience love like we've never experienced here on earth. Because he is love. Let me close with this. Philippians 3, Paul's talking about his life. And Paul's talking about everything, all his success. Paul's talking about every, um, all his accomplishments in life. Paul's talking about how, how he was raised and how he knew the word and how he knew the law and how he knew all the rituals. And he says, oh, and even if you want to say that I'm a zealot and, and I'm a go-getter, yep, I even persecuted the church. So he says, I, ha- I had all that. But listen to what he says. Here in verse 7, he said, I once thought these things were valuable. I want you to listen to this. All your worldly possessions, I pray, I pray, you have a hold on them and they don't have a hold on you. I pray you're not getting caught up with all of the go out and get it because you deserve it. Jesus Christ deserves your all. Why? Because he gave your all. You want to know what this world will give you? It will lead you to a desert and leave you there dry, hopeless, full of guilt and shame. That's the world. But Jesus came to give you life and more abundantly. Paul said, I count all of these things I thought were valuable. I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Verse 8, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with 
with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. It's your faith, not your religion. I want to know Christ and to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or I have already reached perfection, but I press on. That's the key. Keep going forward. Listen, we're going to fall. We're going to stumble. Don't give up. Don't give in to the lies the world tells you. Keep going. Keep pressing on. Keep coming. Keep reading. Keep encouraging. Keep building yourself up. David even said there was a time in my life I had encouraged myself in the Lord. I had had no friends. I had no family. But God, I look back to where you brought me from, to where I was, to where I am now. And I encourage myself in the Lord. There might be a time in your life, you know what, God? Every phone line's busy. There's no answer. I need someone to talk to. But God, I know that time when I shed my tears on my pillow and I thought I never had a friend in the world. But God, I knew you was there for me. I knew you cared for me. And if you got me through that, I know you're going to get me through this, God. It's a time that the church rises up and we need to be bold in 2014. And we need to let the world know we have the answers. The world is lying to you. But Jesus Christ is the true and everlasting way. He is what you need in your life. Paul goes on. He says, I don't mean to say that I have that perfection. But I press on to, um, to possess the perfection which Christ Jesus possessed. And me, and I love 13, forgetting the past. Oh, that's a hard thing to do. That's a hard thing to do. I made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt a lot of people. I betrayed people. I hurt people. I abandoned people. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for what God through Jesus Christ is calling us. And he goes on and he says, he's talking about the world. And he talks about how there's enemies of the cross that don't obey what the, what the word of God says. And he says in verse 19, they are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. What does that mean? It doesn't mean food. It means their, their God is, is the, the lust, the desires, uh, the desires to have the themes of the world. And he says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under control. And do you have Revelation, Brittany, 21.4? This is what it's all about here. Revelation 21.4, this is our promise. And this is how much God cares for us. It says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow or crying or pain. And these things are gone forever. Let's stand this morning.
Hallelujah, Jesus. If our worship team would come, let me tell you, our prayer team, we have a prayer team. They've been trained. When I grew up, the altars was packed every time the church was open. Was that many people getting saved? At times. But there's also times that people just came up because you needed strength in your life. You just needed to get a hold of God. We need to get back to altars. We need to get back to building altars in our lives. That doesn't mean if you come up forward that you have this sin in your life and, oh, my goodness, you're going to hell. No. You're stepping out in faith and you're saying, God, can't do it. I can't do it anymore without you. And, God, I'm thankful that you brought me to a church where there's people here that loves me and cares about me and they have my best interests at heart. And, God, I'm thankful there's people here to pray for me because, God, I need it. So if you're not living an abundant life this morning, if you don't have the joy and the peace and the love, I'm asking you to come this morning and just let these precious people pray for you. That you can experience. God wants you to have this. This is what he died for. So Heavenly Father, Lord God, I just pray. Thank you, Lord God, for the word that you spoke this morning. God, I pray that it would touch someone's heart. God, that they will know there's a better way. There's a better way than what I'm going. There's a, God, I've tried to do this on my own, and I can't do it. I keep running it in the ditch. I keep hurting people. I keep betraying people. God, I can't do it anymore. I need your help. And God, I just pray that you show up this morning in a magnificent way in their lives, and that you manifest your power your presence, but most importantly, God, that you manifest your love. You are love, God. In a world that gives false love and false peace, you are love. One day, God, you're going to wipe these tears away. God, I'm praying that it's today. In Jesus' name.